Hello and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor and chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with some industry experts to discuss how lost labor hours on electrical projects can affect an electrical contracting firm's ability to complete projects on time and within budget. So just to preface our discussion, uh, this topic kind of came about because we had such a positive reaction to a recent article that we ran in our February print issue, and that will that's also found online, um, on the topic of how to reduce lost labor hours on electrical projects, and in which all of our guests here today were interviewed for that story. So I thought it would be valuable to follow up on that article with an additional podcast discussion, because this has obviously been so popular, it must be a hot topic uh, for our readers and listeners. Uh, so today I'm talking with Dr. Heather Moore, and Dr. Perry Danishkari of MCA Inc., Neil Davidson of Commonwealth Electric Company of the Midwest, and Rich Shumway of Wilcox Electric. They were all interviewed for the Labor Hours article, as well as Dr. Heather and Dr. Perry wrote a companion article, which was actually the cover story in the February issue on the evolution of prefab, uh, which is obviously relative. So that's a great article as well that you, you want to check out. So I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves and their roles briefly before we jump right into the podcast discussion. So Heather, would you like to begin? Uh, thank you, Alan, for the introduction. And thank you, Ali, for helping us put this together. Just a brief background for myself. Um, I'm from MCA Incorporated with Dr. Perry. Uh, I'm the Vice President of Customer Care and Support. Um, my background, I start started with MCA uh, Industrial Engineering degree and um from the get-go, did a lot of work in the field. Dr. Perry had me visit a lot of job sites, do a lot of observation and studying work, studying labor, studying what happens in the field. Uh, so in the company with MCA, I've done a lot of research on those topics, on productivity, on prefabrication, um, and work still, you know, boots on the ground and, and shoulder to shoulder with, the, you know, the, the project managers, the folks getting the work done, but also the people that uh, lead the organization to um, build on that work. So a little bit about me. Uh, I'm Neil Davidson with Commonwealth Electric Company of the Midwest. Uh, we are a um, regional contractor. We have locations throughout Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Arizona, and Utah. I've been with the company for 25 years. Um, started out right out of college, working as a project engineer, and I've had various jobs throughout my career from estimator to project manager to branch manager and now executive vice president. Uh, my name is Rich Shumway. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I am the general manager at Wilcox Electric. Wilcox Electric is a family-owned residential service contractor servicing the Washington, D.C. area. And I've been with Wilcox Electric for almost nine years uh, when I relocated to the Washington, D.C. area. This is Dr. Perry. I'm, uh, I have a lot of background, so I don't know where to start. So uh, I started from University of Michigan. I've done, um, I worked with over 500 companies doing uh, uh, research and productivity investigations. We have been around since 1989. Uh, lots of research for uh, NECA, IEC, and other subcontracting associations. And uh, our products are, uh, process improvements and, um, and uh, software to support that and uh, companies operating with what we are finding with the uh, products and services, they are looking in um, 
savings of 30% plus, uh, and, and we'll explain some more how this works, because it's very related to this, uh, to this topic. Uh, companies can operate at 30, 40% higher sales per electrician if some of the, the stuff we have developed over the uh, agile construction uh, is applied. So we'll get into that later, but uh, I, I just have been around for a long time and there's a lot of publications on our website as well. Thank you, we're really, okay. we're really glad to have everyone here. So let's just kick it off with a quick um, overview, I guess, just for maybe some of people who are new to the electrical industry or apprentices or, you know, um, what, when you say labor hour, um, what is that self-explanatory? What does that actually mean? So. Do all electrical contractors figure labor the same way? Are there different methods to track and figure the labor hours? Or just how is this typ typically done to just kind of set the stage for what we're talking about? Okay, I can take that on uh, since, again, we are more of a outside observing how the industry operates for the last 20-some years. The, the way we use labor hours are the uh, hours that are directly associated to building the building. And when we use the word productivity, is the labor productivity not necessarily financial productivity? Okay. The uh, industry and the, and, the, and the overall economy uses financial productivity. We are actually using separating work, effort, and, um, and the, uh, the time. So those are three separate elements. So when we talk about labor hours, we mean the hours spent building the work. Okay, uh, there are many ancillary work hours that are being used to support the job, but those are more like a overhead or indirect allocation. Okay. From, so from like a contractor standpoint, um, Neil and Rich, how do you figure your, you know, what do you determine labor hours and how is that like tracked at your companies? Uh, we define labor hour as uh, one hour of billable time. And obviously it's important to maximize that because uh, billable time means the income and uh, we're trying to you know, maximize income and profits. Okay. Um, and we're a residential service contractor, which I believe inherently has less billable time uh, mm -hmm. because our electricians may drive to multiple jobs on one day and we don't bill for drive time. Um, they also often report to our shop in the morning to, to grab material, to grab apprentices. And once again, that's not billable time. So uh, hopefully we're uh, capturing that time though in uh, our hourly labor rate. Okay. Yeah, so Commonwealth Electric, we are a um, industrial commercial electrical contractor. Uh, work on various sizes of projects, anywhere from you know, uh, service call, which may be four hours to a large project that could be over 100,000 man hours. Uh, we develop those man hours through our estimating and uh, the hours are generated based on quantities that we take off, put against our estimating units historical data to come up with hours of work for this project. Um, those hours that we come up with then are multiplied against different factors depending on the type of work. If it's a high rise building versus it's a strip mall versus it's a hospital, uh, those labor hours are adjusted accordingly based on the, the difficulty and complexness of the project. That is one of the assumptions that is, I believe, incorrect in the industry. That's what we started. We look for commonalities. The, the commonality among the projects are a lot higher. They're 70, 
So every project may look different, but there are a lot more commonalities. Okay. And that is proven through the number of parts they use, the kind of activities they have. So if you look at the activities on the job site, some good 60, 70, sometimes 80% of the activities don't need to be done by electricians and doesn't, don't need to be done on site. So but because they don't need to be done on site, they could be standardized. And because of that, that shows commonality and differences. That's, so that's, that's a fundamental difference that industry is going through understanding what industrialization is. And okay. the uh, lean, lean construction and such doesn't apply to construction because they're still operated by skilled trades and there's no one best way for lean to apply. So several of the sources interviewed for this article that we wrote on labor hours. Um, one person actually estimated that 55 to 60 percent of an electric uh, of an electrician's time could potentially be wasted on a typical job. Maybe only 40 to 45 percent of their time is spent actually installing. So is I mean that's a generality, but is that in line with what you're seeing in the field um, and or not? And if so, why do you think that's the case? Um, I would agree with with the fact that there is a lot of wasted time in construction. Mm -hmm. That's why we that's why we talk about prefab and lean and the, the different methods of trying to increase that production. And over the over the last probably 15 years, as prefab has has become more mainstream, people are accepting of it. As uh, Dr. Perry mentioned, we are taking more of our work and putting it into the shop. And when we take that work and we put it into the shop, it is a much more productive environment, right? We have all the tools there. We have the information. We're we're building um, a product that we're doing repetition over and over and over. On the general construction site, the number of hours that somebody actually has their hands on the tools during the day um, could be, you know, 50%, 60% of the time. And the rest of the time is finding uh, the right information, uh -huh. getting to the location you need to be at, uh, you know, all kinds of various items that distract from the actual installation of the work. And Ellen, um, to, to add to that, uh, we do observations every year to validate research from 2003, which I think is one of your other questions of how long has this been a problem. Um, right. But, you know, briefly, the, the research we do every year validates 42% uh, uh, is the average, but 40 to 50% okay. of the time in the field is spent on material handling. And when we first bring that up with even electricians all the way up to owners of companies, you know, there's a little bit of disbelief. That seems like a lot of time. Yes. When you go stand and look, literally spend a day and just go watch. And that can be on a service truck. It can be on a hundred thousand man hour job and mm -hmm. watch what the majority of the time is spent doing. It's moving things, looking for things, returning things, sorting things, ordering and reordering. Um, it's, it's a lot of time that's not getting the installation done. And that's really the, one of the biggest opportunities, like we talked in the article for prefab, is, is not thinking as much about what can we build in the shop, but what is the material handling work that truly is work because it has to get done, at least currently in the industry, that we can take offline. Yeah, we, we call that actually externalizing work. As was just mentioned, it's not just what you do in prefab, but also what can your vendors do as far as packages and reduce the uh, uh, wasted time on a job site? The 40%, 42% Heather is mentioning is, is just the material handling. 
but there is a lot more waste in the movement and the job site, <clears throat> and that is that is really a higher number. Um, at the end of the day, the activities on the job site, unless it has to be done on the job site, don't belong to the job site. If we want to be, if we want to provide more shelter at a lower cost for the population of the of the world and for our country, so. Um, at the end of the day, the activities that are even being considered valued activity or value transfer activity, not wasted activity, those activities by themselves could be wasteful if they are done on the job site, as was mentioned. That number is very true, and if you can reduce that up your prefabrication by 10, 15, 20, sometimes we see companies that can go up to 30, 40, sometimes 50% prefabrication, then the sales per head, you know, follows. In other words, sometimes it could be actually uh, 30, 40, 50 percent higher than the industry average on that electrician sales per head. Those numbers are incredible, um, Dr. Heather. You said you mentioned that number, um, and you do specific research, obviously, at MCA. So this is so appropriate. Um, so you said when you talk to people, you, they're obviously surprised. Um, when you say those numbers and it, they're kind of in disbelief about that. And, but then when you actually start looking at it, they start to see what's really happening. Is that, is that what usually right. happens? And, and I think that there's some questions you had, Ellen, about, you know, a lot, what drives this or what can we do to make it better? You mm -hmm. know, and, and what our mission in, in MCA, and I think um, both, um, both the other guests here talked about this is really how you measure it okay. uh, because if the, if the material handling in that simple sense is not recognized as part of the work, you know, it's naturally embedded in, in labor units and in an estimating labor unit. But unless you measure what the work is that actually completes the project versus what labor spending their time on, that's not really contributing to that, you won't see it. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, our column with you on in the um, job site intelligence are, is trying to help the industry do that to learn how to go observe, how to go look, and how to measure that waste. And that's very true. Sorry about uh, dominating here the, the call. Um, we get excited about this. Um, so for instance, when we start working with a contractor, my first question is, how much absentees do you have? The typical answer is we don't have absentees mm -hmm. because they don't measure. Number one and number two reason for the uh, the labor overrun and the short uh, and the issues on the job site is absenteeism first, and uh, and then trade interferences. So in other words, when they this is a national data, so if they don't absenteeism is about 10 to 11 percent on the average. During the COVID, it went up to 30 percent, and in sometimes during like uh, in California, it can go up to 30 percent when the surf is up, or in Michigan and Midwest when the hunting begins. So those are real numbers, but if they're not measured, um, and the same thing with labor overrun, we noticed labor overrun about 20 years ago, and I started um, investigating. The reason companies say they don't have labor overrun because their project managers cover that cost of labor with their with the slush fund they have, either on the fixture or gear or other material. So they do horse trading, and then they say we don't have labor over. There's, an, there's almost no job that we know of that doesn't run over. Okay. 
Uh, so Neil and Rich, are you seeing similar things in the field as far as like, do those numbers sound realistic to you or is that surprising? Uh, yeah, I would say those numbers sound accurate maybe on smaller jobs. We do like partial day jobs. And the reason I say that's because with the nature of our work, you know, our guys have to they find parking, unload tools and materials, you know, speak with the customer, maybe do a walkthrough, then get, get organized. And, you know, they're probably 30 minutes in at that point. Then once they complete their work, they have to load up their tools, clean up their work area, complete their tickets, make an invoice and get payment from the customer. So a large portion of their time is spent, you know, doing non-electric work. It's the, more the customer service part and uh, prepping and cleaning up. Okay. So what are some of these things like, okay, we're talking about this wasted time. So obviously you've already mentioned the prefabrication that can obviously help cut down on some of that. So other than that, like, what are some of the big issues that are causing this, um, you know, loss in productivity, basically? Another factor that causes lost productivity on a job site is scheduling. Okay. Scheduling by the uh, by the owner or general contractor or whoever is in charge of the project to get the people in the right place at the right time, you know, and then holding people accountable. Um, so many times we'll be geared up to go into an area or a room, and the uh, the part of the puzzle that needed to be put in before ours isn't there. You know, maybe the walls aren't completed or. The door frame isn't there, the ceiling grid isn't in, you know, and then you'll have to stop, remobilize, move to another task. And in construction, that uh, a scheduling and that accountability of the scheduling um, definitely is a factor of lost productivity on a job okay. site. Are the are supply chain issues still a major factor like they were, you know, the last year or so and material shortages, or has that gotten better? I would say it's still a factor. It seems like every time you go to a construction meeting, somebody is missing something that they need to have. And we're talking about, you know, when is it gonna come in and how are we gonna improve the, uh, the delivery time? Um, mm -hmm. In the electrical industry right now, it's our switch gear, panel boards and transformers. Some uh -huh. of the times are, you know, over, over a year at this right. point, you get those pieces. And then um, even when they say they're gonna be here in a year, you start to close in on that date and it gets pushed out a little further. So you know, when that kind of stuff happens, it affects everybody on the entire project. And their right. And those are not really within your control. So those are just things you have to live with. Right. Ellen, I can, I can add on to, um, to that comment. Uh, as far as scheduling, that's a great point. Um, we see that in our, you know, electrical contractor, really any trade contractor customers that we work with. Um, and just within the last year, we've started uh, offering a scheduling service primarily for the trade contractors. Dr. Perry was talking earlier about the difference of work, mm -hmm. effort, and time. You know, and, and I know that the guys on the phone here have lived through this where, you know, the, the customer, whether that's a, a general contractor or a, a CM or an owner, you know, they're interested in getting their building up and running as soon as possible. They really don't care about our productivity in, in many cases. And we're kind of on the other side of that. If our electricians had their way, you know, they'd take three years to build something that should take three months. Um, so we've built an approach to try to really bridge those two ends of the spectrum of making the work visible and the fact that, you know, there are activities we have to do that in some ways relate to procurement and the material shortages we're, we're dealing with. How can we make that visible to our customer in their, you know, terminology, which is schedule uh, in a way that we can try to, you know, overcome that impasse. And we're having very good success. We've got a couple of good examples 
um, in the in Midwest uh, with Staff Electric, the couple other folks that were interviewed uh, for that article as well, mm-hmm. of really using the electrician's work breakdown structure, marrying that up with a time-driven schedule from the general contractor, and literally on a monthly basis working through the related scheduling obstacles from, from one side or the other that are preventing productivity, number one, for us, uh, and then number two, for the project to be completed on time and on budget. Uh, absolutely, Ned. Uh, one productivity loss we see comes from poor estimates. We do a, a lot of smaller jobs and a lot of estimates, and uh, the whole process starts with estimators, and the estimators have to come up with a solid plan and a good material list. Um, the electricians have to understand the estimator's plan and execute it, and if the estimator makes a poor material list or plan, the electrician doesn't know what's going on, then the process grinds to a halt. And then next thing you know, we have to run materials out to the electricians or uh, maybe the electrician, the estimator have to get on a video call together and see what's going on, you know, determine a plan of action going forward. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you all are experts on this. So maybe some contractors, it's, it's maybe it's not that it's not a priority. Maybe it's that they just don't even realize that these things are issues or where these things are stemming from. So, you know, do the same principles apply no matter what size the electrical contracting firm is, do you think? Or, I mean, obviously the really smaller shops going up to the multi-million dollar contractors, um, the principles are the same, but it's obviously more complicated when you get into a, a huge, um, you know, company. Well, we do small projects and large projects and, um, and labor productivity issues are affected on all sizes of, of projects. Okay matter what it is obviously the dollars are a lot bigger when you're talking larger projects but uh, right. same type of issues are um, you know you could be doing a small kitchen remodel and you're still going to have you know different subcontractors working in there um, you're going to have people that are calling in sick you're going to have changes to the work you know there's so many things that that play into lost productivity so what so what, what kinds of things is- do you would you say are really within the contractor's control when you're talking about you know, alleviate, alleviating some of these productivity issues. Um, what things can they control and what things, I mean, obviously there are some things they can't control. Well, planning, planning ahead is probably the, num- the key item for an electrical contractor to be able to plan their work. So whether it's through prefab or schedule or getting the equipment to the job site, you know, that, that's what you have in your control to do is uh, pre-planning as opposed to, we used to call it, uh, we have certain project managers that we call, they, they'd show up and they'd throw the prints over the fence and um, walk away and they would just let the, uh, let the guys in the field figure it out. And that method mm-hmm. never works out very well. Um, so <laughs> planning, helping the foreman and, and electricians plan and lay out their work is something that we can all do to uh, alleviate productivity issues. Definitely good points there. So what, what Neil is talking about is right on the money. And as he just said, large projects are nothing but a lot of the small projects. The, uh, the, the issue, as he also mentioned here, is this planning, you know, is also not harmonized or understood by everyone. If you ask a uh, foreman what a planning means, he says, well, I planned that morning for that day. That's not planning, that's a scheduling. Um, they confuse the scheduling and planning. The, the thing is, the work never goes in, as Rich was saying earlier, the way it was estimated. That's the discrepancy that they have. No work ever goes in the way it was estimated. So 
the inability for the companies to manage the labor by allowing them to lay out the work through the WBS and tracking it through the WBS is one of the bigger issues because when the estimator is estimating, it's building based on their historical, historical data, which by themselves are false because there's no feedback from the field. If there is anything, so for instance, if they, they put a thousand feet of pipe and they say, okay, we have for a thousand feet of pipe, let's, let's say we have 10 hours allocated. But if, if five hours of it goes for the first 800 uh, uh, feet and the other five hours goes for the last uh, 200 feet, estimator would never know that. So therefore, anytime he's going to see a thousand feet of pipe, he's going to put 10 hours on it. And it could be uh, 15 hours, it could be five hours depending on if it's a straight shot or if it's a mechanical room or not. So the feedback from the source doesn't happen. And um, Dr. Heather's uh, research on her PhD shows some good 90% of the decisions they make in the field doesn't get back to the company. And hence, the estimate, which by itself is, is a guesstimate based on historical wrong data, which also relies on NECA numbers, NECA numbers by themselves are wrong because they, they survey estimators. So you can see how it escalates to that. They survey the estimators to come up with the NECA numbers. Estimators use that to, you know, nobody can win any work with NECA numbers to begin with. You can ask the two gentlemen here. You put NECA numbers in there. The only way they use the NECA numbers on is when they do change orders. And then they can go to NECA 2, NECA 3. So, that is that is that discrepancy, the lack of management, lack of managing the work, lack of understanding how the work goes in, is major cause of discrepancy. Right. And the if you look at the NICO numbers, they do include 33% material handling. They do include some of these walking, but that is all that is all I would say, not 100% correct data because it's much higher than that. Okay. And on the small and large job, Alan, um, to, to kind of add to what Neil was saying and Dr. Perry, um, you know, we do see that the same principles definitely apply. Uh, what we see in our customers and part of what was in that my research as well was the small jobs are actually where the, the, the biggest losses occur. Uh, okay. And it's where we tend to put like our less experienced, you know, maybe not best, foreman, you know, on those smaller projects because mm -hmm. it's less risk, to Neil's point. But then what happens is those guys get, we can only take so many large jobs, right? And as an industry, we can only do so much work because those folks on those smaller jobs weren't, aren't always exposed to the same, like, rigor for mm -hmm. training on planning and measuring and, right. and paying attention to waste. And that's kind of an industry symptom we need to fix with, with training on planning and productivity as much or more as we train on the installation means and methods. Absolutely. So let's kind of shift a little bit to the prefab discussion again. So to what degree, Rich and Neil, do you all use um, prefab in your projects? And then maybe Dr. Perry and Dr. Heather could kind of give a quick overview of some of the results that they found and reported in, in, the, uh, in the article from our February issue, which I um, encourage everyone to read on the evolution of prefabrication. Oh, we currently have a company goal of, of trying to do at least 5% of our total labor hours 
in the fab shop. And you know, if you if you look at industry averages, um, a lot of companies are probably above that or definitely trying to get above that. And we would love to get above that too. But for us right now, it's a challenge to get that five percent um, to be able to get that pre-planning done, to get the buy-in from our guys that have done it, you know, in the field for so many years. Right. That's where we're at. We're we're somewhere around 5% company-wide. And, and just to give you an idea, we have 1,200 employees currently. So wow, okay. We have fab shops in multiple cities. Mm -hmm. uh, with the nature of our work, we do not really do any prefab because uh, right. majority of our work's in uh, houses. You know, we some light commercial, stuff like that, but it, uh, it's not new construction. It's uh, all existing. Okay. Yeah, well, um, you know, I would say what, what both guys said it supports what we would you know, normally and in this industry, we're, we're industry average kind of hovering around 5%, you know, in best case 10. So, I, Neil, I think you have a, a good goal that's probably above where most people are. Um, one of the things that we wrote about in the article on the evolution of prefab is something that the industry has been, you know, I guess maybe lacking and is now available, which is uh, standard from NEIS, the National Electrical Installation Standards. Um, it's an ANSI accredited standard that we've worked on over the last two years, uh, which is which is really meant to address quality in prefabrication installations. And, you know, Neil mentioned kind of getting buy-in and, and getting the, the guys that are, are used to doing things on site. It, we don't hear as much anymore the it's taking my work away comment, which came up quite a bit, you right. know, 10 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but the comment that does persist is where electricians, you know, if I can't see and and validate that the work that's in the ceiling behind the walls and the electrical room matches the quality of workmanship that I would do with my own hands mm -hmm. when it's done in prefab they have a hard time letting go which is the same way uh same place Henry Ford was back in the early 1900s and the the way to break through that is with a standard for quality that matches you know that skill and experience of the electricians but allows it to be distributed, um, at least a part of it to be distributed to more people. So um, we're kind of scratching the surface of that, but we think that putting a standard like that into the hands of the contractors uh, that want to do more will help uh, build some confidence of their crews that the way it's getting built in the shop is the same outcome that they need to stamp with their approval, you know, as, as an electrician as if it were done in the field. Absolutely. So there's definitely a lot more room to make more progress um, as we go forward. So how big of a factor is technology? I'm assuming obviously everyone's using some kind of estimating sof software, project management software, something that encompasses all of these different things, scheduling, payroll. Um, how big of a factor is technology in making, um, you know, strides in improving this productivity or is it more the strategies and methods put in place rather than like what type of software you're using. I'd say we were kind of late adopters maybe to new software. And so it's been about, uh, I think five and a half years ago, we adopted a new software and it has everything, estimating, invoicing, scheduling, uh, customer database, um, catalog, all that. And when mm -hmm. we adopted that, it was just a huge uh, leap forward because it, it, it addressed so many different areas, you know, made us uh, put in the time and get a proper catalog. And uh, uh -huh. so it was just, it made us improve so many areas. It, it was how a huge how difficult was that getting everybody on board with that and learning it? Um, 
<laughs> you know, it was uh, three days, I think, with the software people, with uh, training the office staff, and then we slowly rolled it out to the electricians where uh, we, we rolled out to one guy one day. And so he was calling the office every call with questions, you know, then the, the another guy the next day and another guy the next day and another guy the next day until we had everyone. But there's still issues, you know, small mistakes. People forget stuff for a long time. But um, in the end, it was definitely worth it. Okay. And Ellen, um, you know, from our experience, and, and we've written a lot about this over a long time with, with you uh, in ECNM magazine, uh, you know, we've, we try to focus on software as a process. Um, you know, and what we see in the industry, and this kind of goes to where we see it going, um, almost all companies have some kind of software for accounting. Um, many companies these days use estimating software as opposed to the good old, you know, green sheets. Uh, mm -hmm. But that middle ground of what's actually happening in the field is, is there's, there's, well, we think we have a, a software that kind of addresses that middle ground um, and, and it's built based on the right measurement system. You know, implementing the technology like you were just asking, Rich, here is, is, is its own beast, but also making sure that the technology that you're using to measure is going to bring the right results is probably the bigger concern. You know, just using an estimating or an accounting or a scheduling uh, system, which we have many companies we go into that are, are down that path, you know, they might have implemented a, a nice software that is easy to use and is, you know, has, has a really great data collection mechanism, but is it actually driving the right results to the business, especially in terms of prefab and productivity? Um, that's probably the biggest question to ask. And, you know, we've written a lot about those tools in the in the magazines on SIS and JPAC over the years that we think, and have evidence now after 20 years of implementing that they are bringing the right um, outcomes. Right. And I would encourage everyone to, we do have the job site uh, intelligence column that MCA writes that we you address these kinds of issues all the time on a regular basis, plus a lot of back articles and evergreen content that you can look up on our website uh, when you search for things like prefab, uh, job site productivity, labor hours, and that type of thing. So I'd encourage everyone to do that. So I guess in kind of wrapping it up, we're getting close to time here. Does anyone have any final thoughts on maybe, um, you know, what things are going to look like going forward? What are going to be the biggest challenges? Or are there any kind of milestones? I know you've met We've made a lot of progress, um, especially with prefab, but um, what do you see as like big things maybe that are coming up uh, in the future for electrical contractors in this area? Well, one thing that we are seeing a lot of with our larger customers is that they are, they're buying prefabricated uh, assemblies, modules, GIDs, you know, those type of things um, and, and taking it out of the hands of the electrical mechanical contractors to some extent. We're bringing those skids in already all piped and wired and, and they're okay. you know, point connections and seeing a lot more of that with uh, larger customers that are planning ahead and buying that uh, modular type of installation. Are you all seeing that Dr. Heather and Dr. Perry is that common among other customers you have? Uh, yes, yes, Neil is right. They, um, the prefabrication, even distributors are participating. We have built prefabrication shops for distributors um, to make some of that. Again, this is those common elements you are talking about. The uh, the common elements in the in the in the arena of the uh, of the material used is only about 15 to 20 percent of the elements. So even if all that becomes externalized 
it's still not replacing when uh, when we actually try to engage the labor to tell us what doesn't need to be done on site. So the principal question on prefabrication to avoid the labor overrun is, is that what is it that we can prefab is what is it we can't prefab. If, uh, if we ask that question, the, the labor would tell us what is it that bugs them, what is it that they don't need to do on the job site. Well, it looks like we're about out of time. I want to thank you so much to our guests for sharing their insight, industry knowledge, and experience with us today on combating the problem of lost labor hours in the construction industry. I'd also like to thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson, signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future, and don't forget to check out the Members Only Portal on our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.